Hello, Harbour City Church. This is Grant here. I'm actually recording this from my kitchen because the SD card that had the sermon on it uh, was corrupted. But anyway, I'm excited for us to start a new four-week series in the book of Jonah. I know some of you read the book of Jonah either last week or this week for the first time. And if you haven't yet, it honestly is a quick four-chapter, ten-minute read. And I'm sure for some of you reading through the book of Jonah for the first time, you read it and you realize there is a lot more going on in this book than you first thought there was when you heard the story as a kid. Because all of us know the story of Jonah. You know, whether you grew up going to church every Sunday or whether today is your first time in church today, you know the story of Jonah and the whale. And this book of the Bible probably is one of those books that has impacted popular culture the most whether it's with Moby Dick written by Herman Melville or Pinocchio. You know the story where Pinocchio goes away, runs away from Geppetto to that island and turns into a donkey and then tries to escape on the sea and turns uh, and is swallowed by this whale. But there are all sorts of moments in pop culture and sci-fi and all sorts of stories where characters are swallowed whole by some kind of creature. And I think because of that, when we come to the book of Jonah in the Bible, Sometimes we think of this as a bit of a Disney-fied, sci-fi kind of Bible book. We see it as more of a myth than a true story in the Scriptures, although Jesus refers to this as if this, uh, the story of Jonah is true. And this is a Bible book full of truth for you and I to enjoy and be shaped by. And probably for a lot of us coming into the series, we think of Jonah as a bit of a rascal, you know, Jonah is this prophet with a heart of gold, but he's got a bit of a naughty streak. And as the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, we see him almost popping the collar of his leather jacket and walking in the other direction. When God calls him to Nineveh, he heads in the other direction to Tarshish. But really, there is a whole lot more going on than just this. As one of the guys from my church who read Jonah chapter 1 for the first time said, really, Jonah is a bit of a loser, just like so many of us. And we're introduced to Jonah for the first time in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14, verse 25, as a prophet who ministered during the reign of Israel's king, Jeroboam II. And in this passage, we learn that unlike the other prophets, Amos and Hosea, who criticized the royal administration for its injustice and unfaithfulness, Jonah, on the other hand, had supported Jeroboam's aggressive military policy to extend the nation's power and influence. The original readers of this book would have heard the name Jonah and would have thought of this prophet as an intensely patriotic, strongly nationalistic man. So if I contextualize that for us today, you can almost imagine Jonah going around Israel and prophesying with a red mega cap on, make Israel great again. And more than just that picture that comes to mind, Jonah was a xenophobic, racist, prejudiced, bigoted man. He was a prophet of the Most High God, called to share the oracles of God with people. But he was also deeply flawed. And that should really encourage you and I, because that is the kind of God we serve. We serve a God who uses imperfect people like you and I. And God speaks to Jonah, and he sends him to preach to people of a different nation, of a different religion, of a different race, who happen to be Israel's greatest political enemy and a powerful enemy at that. And everyone would have been shocked when they heard that Jonah was going, that this bigoted, prejudiced prophet, this nationalist, this patriot, was going to the different nation of Assyria, to the city of Nineveh, to be a pastor there, to plant a church there, to preach there. 
And one of the things we learn from the book of Jonah is that God wants his people to treat people of different races and faiths and nations and different everything in a way that is really respectful and loving and generous and just. Because we are all made in the image of God and none of us are better than anyone else. But if you're like me, when you come to the book of Jonah, there's a huge romance that comes with this idea of being sent by God to a different place. And I'm one of those guys who, as a young Christian, definitely prayed those, God, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything for you prayers. But if I'm honest, what I really meant is, God, I'll go somewhere cool and exciting, and I'll do something adventurous and glamorous for you. I'll do anything you want, God. I just don't want to serve you as a missionary in the ordinary, mundane, everydayness of Durban life. I've got this friend. Her name is Vanessa Lennox. Some would know her and her husband, James. They lead Solid Ground Church in Middleburg and in Pumalanga. And we were speaking to her, and she told us about this experience she had with God when she was young. She prayed that passionate young Christian prayer that I spoke about. God, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything for you. And she had in mind almost going to the slums of India, to the poorest of the poor, to serve people there. And she prayed, God, I'll go anywhere and do anything. And she felt like the Holy Spirit said to her, what about Middleburg? She wanted the exotic. She wanted the adventurous. She wanted to go to the ends of the earth. She wanted to go to India. But God said, you don't have to do that. You don't have to go all that way. You don't have to spend all that money. What if you just go down the road to Middleburg and serve me there? And then 10 years later, her and her husband were living in Sydney, one of the coolest, most progressive, expensive cutting-edge cities in the world. They were serving on staff at Hillsong Church, one of the biggest and coolest churches in the world. And the word of the Lord came to them, moved to Middleburg and served me by taking over the leadership of Solid Ground Church. I don't know what prayers Jonah had prayed when he was younger, but Nineveh and Assyria were definitely not the dream destinations on young missionaries' hearts. Ancient Nineveh is basically modern-day Mosul in Iraq. If you know anything of its history, in 2014, ISIL, or the Islamic State, actually took over the city. And the terrorism and the warfare kind of impacted the city in a huge way. And they even destroyed the tomb of Jonah, the reported place to contain his bones and his burial place, as they destroyed so much. And I think of that, and I think some of us wouldn't even move to parts of the city of Durban if God asked us. Some of us think, Lord, I'll live here, but there's no ways I'd move to that part of our city, let alone Mosul in Iraq. But Assyria, sorry, yeah, Assyria was one of the cruelest and most violent empires of ancient times. Assyrian kings often recorded the results of their military victories, gloating of whole plains littered with corpses and of cities burned completely to the ground. And after capturing enemies, the Assyrians would typically cut off their legs and one of their arms leaving the other arm and hand so they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as they were dying. After this, they would decapitate this vanquished foe and they would force their friends and family members to carry their head on a pole around as they would make fun of them. They would pull out their prisoners' tongues and they'd stretch their bodies with ropes so they could be flayed alive and their skins be displayed on city walls. Going to Assyria was a dangerous thing. Now, when I've shared the gospel with my friends, my family, co-workers, just people who come into my life, 
I have definitely sometimes felt super uncomfortable or awkward or self-conscious. And I wondered to myself, what do they think of me? Like, how are they going to understand me and what I'm saying? Will they reject me? What will they think of me? How are they going to treat me? And I thought all of this, there's never been any kind of danger of being flayed or decapitated, as I've shared with these people. But for Jonah, going to preach in Nineveh was definitely a shocking and radical thing. Not just because of this place, but because this was a first for a Hebrew prophet. You know, Hebrew prophets in the past had been sent only really to God's people and to different parts of Israel. And while Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Amos in their books had written prophetic words to pagan countries in the past, they were always brief and they'd never actually gone there and preached these messages to these people before. So Jonah's mission was unprecedented. He's a pioneering missionary in the story of God. But what he's doing is fully in line with God's word to Abraham in Genesis 12. Remember last week, Asishle shared that with us, about how all nations will be blessed through Abraham. And almost this picture that develops from Genesis and throughout the scriptures is that God begins something with Abraham and Sarah and their family, and then as their family grows into the nation of Israel, and then the idea is that that extends to their neighbors, and from their neighbors to the ends of the earth, to all people. And the big idea of the book of Jonah is that God is full of compassion and love, not just for us, you know, Jonah and the Israelites, not just for Harbor City, you and I, but also for them, for the pagan sailors and Ninevites, the people in the city of Durban who don't know or follow Jesus. God is a pursuing God. And in Jonah, we see that God is pursuing our friends and family and our city, but also that he is pursuing you and I. I had a really amazing experience this last week. Sadly, my best friend Danny's father, Sam, passed away. Now, I've known Samuel Allen Hutton probably since I was five, six, seven, since I was a young boy. But I got to go to this memorial at St. Agnes Church up in Clough, and I was really impacted by, I guess, just this experience of the grace of God. And Peter Houston, the pastor, had chosen to share out of Luke 15, you know, the story of the shepherd with the lost sheep, the shepherd who goes out and he leaves the 99 sheep that are safe at home in the pen, and he goes out and he seeks out the one sheep that is lost. And that was the passage that was shared. And that was the song that was sung. Jocelyn, Sam's daughter-in-law, sang the song Reckless Love. And if you don't know the lyrics, the one stanza that stood out to me is, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And it almost felt like as Peter spoke and as the song was sung and as Luke 15 was read, it just felt like this was the story of Sam or Sammy as they were calling him. This lost sheep, this runaway man who had been found by Jesus. And Sam's daughter, Jane, who I don't think is a follower of Jesus, stood up and spoke about her dad. She spoke about some of his imperfections, but also spoke about how she had seen him change in the last few years of his life. Because Sam, for probably the first 70 years of his life, hadn't known Jesus. But over the last two or three years of his life, he'd come into a vibrant relationship with him. 
And so incredibly, the St. Agnes Chronicle, this quarterly publication that they've got, interviewed him just before he passed away and asked him his story. And as Peter Houston preached a sermon, he was able to share some of Sam's own words about how he had come into this church, been invited by a friend into a life group, started to come into this church community, wondered, why am I even here? And over time, how he'd found peace and forgiveness and contentment in the arms of Jesus. You see, Jesus had always been pursuing Sam. From the time he was born in the north of Ireland in the town of Carrickfergus to when he became a professional rugby player in the Northern Ireland rugby team, Jesus was pursuing him. And then when he moved to South Africa in his 30s with work, when he became an immigrant, Jesus was pursuing him. And when he got married and when he got divorced and when he got married again and when him and his family went through huge personal tragedy and when he found out 12 years ago that he had cancer, Jesus was pursuing him the whole way through. And in those last few years of his life, Sam stopped running from God and he found peace in the arms of Jesus. And it was so beautiful hearing Derek, the man who had shared the gospel with him, had been a spiritual mentor to him, who had discipled him, just saying, when Sam prayed with me, he got properly saved. There were tears in everything and he asked God for forgiveness. Sam, after running for 70 years, had found peace in the arms of Jesus. And this idea is exactly what is going on in the book of Jonah. Wouldn't you like to be part of something like this? Seeing people far from God, broken in need, finding peace and forgiveness in the arms of Jesus. Because every single one of us are called to join God in pursuing people with his love. That's why we're doing Alpha. Because we want to be a pursuing church, pursuing people. Our friends, our family, our co-workers, just like God pursues us. But what we see in the book of Jonah is that he isn't interested. This prophet, this pastor, isn't interested in sharing this message of Jesus. He's not interested in the people that God is pursuing. He's a reluctant, runaway, rebellious missionary. So with all of that in mind, if you've got a Bible, can you turn with me to Jonah 1 verse 1? Otherwise, it will come up on the screen behind me. Jonah 1 verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go within to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is on the run from the word and the presence of God. And it's so easy for you and I to judge him. It's so easy for us to look at Jonah and think, Jonah, you're so silly. You can't run from God. There's no point. Eventually, you're going to have to stop running. God will get you. Don't waste your time. Just do what he calls you to do, Jonah. But then we put ourselves in Jonah's shoes. I want to ask you today, what is the word of the Lord to you? Have you thought about that before? Have, have you been asking God that? Are you reading and studying the word of the Lord to know what his word to you is? And are you spending time in the presence of the Lord to be with him? in prayer, in worship, and in intimacy, to hear his specific words to you. What is the word of the Lord to you today? Because when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, it's an interruption to his normal life. The word of the Lord breaks in. Arise, Jonah. Get up, Jonah. Come, I've got something for you to do. And it interrupts Jonah's life. It interrupts his comfort. It interrupts his will. It interrupts his plans. And it also interrupts the prejudice, sin, racism, and ungodliness that Jonah was allowing to live in his heart 
and his life. See, the word of the Lord is disrupting things for Jonah, and he doesn't like it. And Jonah does what so many of us do. Jonah hears the word of the Lord, and instead of obeying it, he takes charge of his own life. He takes charge of his life, and he runs, not just away from Nineveh, but away from the presence of the Lord. Now, in a sense, we all know this is crazy because God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. You can't get away from God. But in a general sense, he's running from God. But in a specific sense, he's running from the presence of God. And the Hebrew idea of presence is literally face, the Hebrew word paneh. He's running away from an intimate face-to-face relationship with God. So Jonah gets on a boat and he heads in the other direction. He's going to Tarshish. He's headed in the exact opposite direction of where God has called him to go. When God calls him to go east, he's gone west. When God tells him to travel over land, he's gone by sea. When God calls him to go to that great city, he's gone to the ends of the earth. And I just want to highlight this here. And almost as a pastor, I feel like this can be irresponsible in a way. But I just want to highlight how easy it is for Jonah to run in the other direction. I think sometimes we don't think about this. I want you to know that if you want to run from God, if you want to disobey God, if you want to rebel against God, there will always be a ship to take you in the other direction. But it won't be God's boat. When Jonah decides he's going to go down to Joppa and get a ship to Tarshish, it's easy. He finds a boat easily. He finds an open door easily. He finds an opportunity easily. But for you and I, if we want to do our own thing and go in a different direction rather than obey God, I just want us to know that this is not God's will. This is not God's boat. This is our boat or a boat of rebellion or a boat of independence or even Satan's boat. But this is not the will of the Lord. And for all of us here, I just want to say, just because there's an open door or an opportunity or a seat on a boat for us to do something, it doesn't mean this is what God wants for us to do. For each one of us here, we need to seek the word of God and seek the will of God by spending time in the presence of God to know what he wants from us. And probably in a room like this today, there are a bunch of us whether in small or big ways, whether externally or internally, we are running from the word and the presence and the will of the Lord. Some of us in a very tangible external sense, we are running from Durban or we're running from a job or we're running from a person. We're running from something God has specifically called us to do. And for some of us, we're actually staying geographically, but we're running cardiographically. We're not going anywhere, but internally in our hearts, we're running far from God even though no one can see it on the outside. I want to ask you, are you running today? Guys, listen, if a man like Jonah, a prophet of the Most High God, ran, rebelled, was reluctant, I'm sure all of us are going to do this a number of times in our life. But are you trying to get away from what God has asked of you? Are you hiding from God's face, pretending everything is okay, keeping yourself busy and distracted with some other things, Because I want you to know church is a really good place to hide. You can hide in broad daylight in church. You can raise your hands in worship and pray out loud and do leadership stuff in the church and serve and keep busy. And everyone is going to think that everything is okay because you're busy with church things. And sometimes we do this because we want to stay busy to keep our minds distracted from the reality, this gnawing reality that we're actually running from God. I've tried to do that before. I'm sure many of you have. 
But we know that really when we run from God, we're just delaying the inevitable. Because God is a pursuing God. And eventually we need to stop running from the word and the presence and the will of God. And when we stop, God will be there. Jonah is a runaway, reluctant, rebellious missionary. But God is pursuing him. Jonah is a believer, but he has not surrendered to God. Now, there are parts of Jonah's life that God can't touch. His career, where he lives, who he will and won't preach to or serve. There are certain beliefs that Jonah holds to that God is not allowed to go near or challenge. His prejudices against certain people groups, his bigotry, how he treats people who don't believe what he believes, people of different religions or faiths, his self-righteousness. There are parts of Jonah's life that have the yellow tape up, which say no entry beyond this point, or Jonah line, do not cross, just like all of us do. And in this book, what we see is God going up to the yellow tape. And I don't know if he pulls it down or if he gently climbs over it, but he ignores the words, no entry beyond this point. And he goes into the areas of Jonah's heart and of Jonah's mind and of Jonah's life where he is not welcome. And the question for each of us today is, do you believe that God has the right to speak into any and all parts of your life? Are there any off-limits parts of your life to God? And if so, why? God commands Jonah to move to Nineveh. And he can do this with us because he is king. He is Lord. He is in charge. He calls the shots. But Jonah doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to live in Nineveh. He doesn't want to pastor those people there. He prefers Israel or Tarshish. He prefers the slums of India, but not Middleburg. And you and I might not be where we want to be. But the question is, are we where God wants us to be? Because we can live absolutely anywhere if we're in the satisfaction of knowing that we are in the will of God, this place of great peace of great joy, of great satisfaction, of great meaning. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach against it. And God began to work in Jonah because God was wanting to work through Jonah to impact that great city of Nineveh, that great city of Durban with his great pursuing love. Jonah 1 verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. And verse 4 starts, but the Lord. Verse 3, but Jonah. Verse 4, but the Lord. If you are running from him, I want you to know he is running after you. God is a pursuing God. And if you go in that other direction, he is going to pursue after you. Not because he's a bad God, but because he wants the best for you. And he knows the best for you. And he is chasing after you. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And what we see here is Jonah runs, but God won't let him go. This idea of hurling a great wind upon the sea is probably the same words that you would use to hurl a spear. It's like God throws this year. And for some of us, maybe this year has been a year of storms in our lives. Some of those storms might be from God. Some of them definitely aren't. But I want you to know whatever storms you face, that God is a God who wants to use everything for the good. Romans 8 verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So you could find yourself in a storm right now. 
And you might know even now that that storm that you face is a storm of your own doing. You've created that storm through something you've said, something you've done, something um, that you've chosen. Or maybe it's a storm that someone else has caused. They've said something, done something, chosen something, acted in a certain way, and they've caused the storm. Or maybe it's a storm that's way out of your control. This is a societal storm, a systemic storm, a storm that affects many people. Or maybe the storm is even from God. But whether it is or isn't, God works all things for the good. And he wants to take and turn the storm that you find yourself in into something amazing for your good. The book of Jonah is about Jonah realizing that God wants him to surrender to him for his good. In Genesis 50, we read the story or the end of the story of Joseph. Now, if you read, there's about 12 chapters at the end of Genesis. Joseph's story is a doozy. Joseph grows up in a home where he is highly favored. He's the favorite son. And he is sold by his brothers after being beaten up. They decide they're not going to kill him, but they'll instead human traffic him and sell him into slavery. And he's bought by someone and sold to this man, Potiphar, and he's working in his home. And he rises up to the top of this guy's home. Things are looking good for him until Potiphar's wife accuses him of sexual assault and attempted rape. And Joseph finds himself in jail. And over time, he finds himself again, probably the second most powerful person in the nation or possibly even the world. God has been at work in his life. He's gone from pit to palace. And in Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph stands at the end of the story in front of his brothers because God is a God who redeems stories and situations. And Joseph looks them in the eyes and he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. God is a God who turns storms for the good in our lives. Jonah 1 verse 5 to 6. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. And I just want to say that if that happens, that's a bad situation. If the sailors, the professional people of the sea are on the deck crying and praying, if they're freaking out, if they've stopped sailing and they are throwing everything they can overboard, the stuff that is meant to make them profit, you know the ship is in a bad situation. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. It's like the captain is coming down probably to check if there's any people or children or anyone in need, anyone who's scared to take care of them, bring them up to the top, get them to help out. And he comes down below and he sees Jonah asleep and he freaks out. Can you imagine? He's thinking to himself, can't you see, Jonah, that we're about to die? Are you so oblivious to our need and our situation and what is going on all around you? I believe you're a man of faith, a prophet. Why aren't you using your faith? For the common good. You see Jonah and the sailors are in the same boat. They're in the same storm. They're facing the same danger. And this is the same situation that we're in in Durban today. As followers of Jesus. We are all believers and unbelievers in the same boat. If the city of Durban is filled with crime or an issue or unemployment or education problems or poor health. Or if the economy is broken or there's social disorder. We are all in the same boat boat and it's almost like in this moment as the captain comes downstairs and finds Jonah asleep he's saying Jonah don't you see you live in the same neighborhood as all of us you're one of us but Jonah's asleep 
He's completely unaware or oblivious of the troubles and needs of the unbelievers around him. And they're scared and in danger. They're praying. They're saying to anyone, hey, we don't care. Pray to whatever God you want. Let's just trust one of them will help us out because we are going down. They want spiritual help. They're desperate for God's intervention. They don't know who to look to or what they should be doing. And Jonah, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, the missionary, the one who should be helping at this time is fast asleep. Jonah is not bringing the resources of his faith to help and serve the suffering of his fellow citizens. He's not spiritually helping them, telling them about how they can have a relationship with God, about what Jesus has done on the cross, his death for us, the life he's lived for us, how he's done it all, that we might, through faith in him and repentance of our sin, find salvation. And he's not even out there practically loving them, serving them, meeting their practical needs of his neighbor. He is not loving his neighbors at all. Jonah is asleep to what is going on around him. His personal faith is of no public good. Verse 7 to 11, we read this. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do that the sea may quieten down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. As we read the book of Jonah, we see that in terms of genre, the book of Jonah is a bit of a dark comedy in a number of places. See, Jonah refuses to go to Nineveh. He refuses to obey God and go on mission to the unbelievers in this city. Largely because he really didn't want to see these unbelieving people turn and find mercy in the arms of God. And now he finds himself in a boat filled with unbelieving pagans who are in desperate need. And they've been calling out to God. They don't know what to do. They've questioned him respectfully. They've asked him what to do. And when they find out that he is the one who's brought this trouble on them, they don't kill him. They don't throw him overboard. They've done nothing wrong at all. And it's like Jonah sees in this moment what some of us see in the workplace in the city, that these unbelievers are more righteous than he is. Jonah has been running from God. Jonah hasn't been praying. Jonah hasn't shared his faith. Joseph, Jonah hasn't repented of his sin. He's been asleep to the sins and the, sorry, to the needs and the struggles of those around him. And now his sin is impacting these people. What he's done has brought this danger upon them. And his conscience starts to melt for the people in this boat. He starts to see them as people made in the image of God. And the way he sees them starts to change. Verse 12 to 17 says this. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quieten down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to Jonah, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. We see that God is sovereign. He rules and reigns over the situation of men, even to bring a fish to Jonah when he's held into the sea and is in greatest need. 
and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Don't you think God is so clever? Jonah was a reluctant, runaway, rebellious evangelist because he didn't want to go and show God's truth to these wicked, unbelieving people as he saw them in Assyria. But this is exactly what he ends up doing with these wicked, unbelieving sailors on the boat. God is changing his heart. God is changing the way he sees different people. God is dismantling his self-righteousness and his prejudice and his pride and changing how he sees others. And here we see Jonah, whose heart is melted with compassion, the compassion of God for these men around him, giving his life for these unbelieving sailors. I don't know if any of you have watched Darren Brown's Netflix special called Sacrifice. It's pretty new and it's really incredible. The Netflix blurb online says of the show, illusionist Darren Brown concocts a psychological experiment in which he tries to manipulate an ordinary person into taking a bullet for a stranger. The scene is set for some great entertainment. But what makes this so much more interesting is that Darren Brown gathers a whole group of people and he's looking for someone who's prejudiced, who's bigoted, who's racist, who sees some people in different ways to himself. And they find this guy named Phil. He happens to be a white American and he happens to be prejudiced against Mexican people or at least illegal immigrants in his nation. And Brown shows a whole lot of footage of them asking Phil questions about what he sees about these people and thinks about them. And you see some of his bigotry and prejudice coming out. And Darren Brown and his genius as he prepares this man to potentially take a bullet for this Mexican legal immigrant. Takes him through a number of, um, I guess, experiments or tests. And I won't share the whole story with you, but maybe just two. The first thing is he does a DNA nationality test. And he shows Phil where around the world his DNA comes from. And Phil assumes, yes, some of his DNA will come from America and some will come from Europe. He's kind of shocked, as I think some Americans would be, to find out that actually he's got some Russian blood inside of him and some North African blood too. But probably the thing that impacts him the most is where he sees that some of his DNA comes from Mexico. And he starts to realize maybe he is an immigrant just like these people that he's been so prejudiced against. And then Darren Brown gets Phil to sit in a chair opposite a Mexican man. They sit with their knees touching and they have to spend four minutes looking into each other's eyes without breaking contact, without saying anything, just looking into each other's eyes. And at about the three-minute mark, it's as if Phil breaks. He can't look into this man's face anymore because of the intimacy. And I want you to think of Jonah running away from the presence of the Lord. He's run away from the face-to-face relationship with God because he can't bear to look into the eyes of God anymore, knowing what is going on inside of him. It's like exactly the same with Phil. Phil can't have this face-to-face intimacy with this person anymore without beginning to feel something for them. This person made in the image of God. And Phil is starting to change. He's growing in empathy for these people that he didn't like before. He, his prejudice, strongly held opinions are starting to melt away. And this is exactly what's happening with Jonah. Jonah is starting to see how much God loves all people and how much God wants everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. In Jonah, we see how passionately God pursues each one of us. In Jonah, God is pursuing the unbelieving Ninevites. He's pursuing the unbelieving sailors. And he's pursuing the believing Jonah. Jonah the pastor. Jonah the preacher. Jonah the prophet. Jonah the missionary. Jonah the church planter. 
In this book, we see how God pursues believers and unbelievers because he wants us to surrender everything over to him. And in this moment, Jonah stops running from God. The sailors stop rowing, trying to get to shore. They realize that they can't do this in their own strength. God is at work here. And Jonah doesn't pray or repent verbally, but in his actions, we see that Jonah surrenders his life to God. Jonah thinks, if I live, I live. And if I die, I die, but I can't keep running from God. God is in charge. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I trust my life to him. And he says, God, I've been running from you, doing my own thing, and it has hurt those around me. And now I'm going to stop. And Jonah does a very Christ-like thing here. He sacrifices himself to save these unbelieving sailors. Jonah is saying, I'll fully take the wrath of these waves so that you won't have to. It's kind of like what we read in Romans 5, 7 and 8 about Jesus. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though. Perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. On the cross, Jesus sacrificed himself and he took the wrath of the waves, the wrath of the storms of the sin and brokenness and evil and selfishness of the world around us and of our own hearts. He died so that we could be saved. He gave himself so that we could find peace with God, like those sailors on that boat and like Sam Hutton. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, my question to you is, will you respond to this God who loves you? And pursues you and gave his life for you? And will you come into his arms and find forgiveness and peace and true love in him? And if you're a Christian here today, my question is, are you running from God in any way? Is there any yellow tape up in your life where you've marked off areas saying, God, you can have anything and do anything. You just can't come into this part of my life. If you're running today, I want to encourage you to stop. Stop running and come into the arms of the God who's been pursuing you all along.